it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. Sometimes we make decisions with our kids on how we think our kids are going to feel in the first 10 minutes versus thinking about 10 months or 10 years. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience that person. Yeah. Here are your hosts. David and Danita Bailey. Well, good afternoon and welcome to a special edition of School Days Help for Moms and Dads of School Age Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm David Bailey. Violence broke out at our nation's Capitol building on Wednesday and only a few days into 2021, we find ourselves having to have hard conversations again with our kids. The insurrection on Capitol Hill is an event that many of us are still processing as adults, all while fielding questions from our kids. So Dave, you were in school when everything went down. So how did you find out, first of all? I don't think I've ever asked you that. And then uh, what were the kids saying? Uh, well, I was already done teaching for the day. So I was in my room just doing some some lesson planning things. And, and then uh, all, all of our team were on group me. And uh, somebody said, you hear what's happening in D.C.? And I was like, mm, I don't know <laughs> what's, what's going on. Uh, and so uh, they talked about that. And I looked it up. I was like, oh, Lord, have mercy. It's like, oh, no. And um, then people are like, yeah, this is, this is crazy. And I'm like, yeah. And I said, you know what? I could find myself getting sucked into this. And so I say, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go back to work. <laughs> and then eventually I'll go back and look at it later. And it wasn't until I got home that I really saw, you know, the, the scope of it. And I listened to a little bit on the radio going home. But um, when I saw some of the pictures and what was happening, I was just, you know, my jaw was just wide open. And so, uh, yeah. What were you doing, babe? Uh, virtual learning with the kids and uh, it completely stopped. My mom actually called me and she was like, hey, do you happen to have your TV on? Which we never do during the day. And uh, I turned it on and I just really felt like uh, I needed DJ to see what was happening. DJ's our uh, seventh grader and uh, gosh, something that, you know, we've obviously never seen in our lifetime and nobody that we know has seen in our in their lifetime, obviously. And um, I really wanted him to sit down so we could just have, you know, some good dialogue about what was happening. So I could try to explain what was happening, even though I didn't completely know what was happening and, you know, kind of the significance of the day and things like that. So, um, yeah, it was it was really hard to watch. And I, I found myself near tears multiple times throughout the day as we were watching the footage, just because that's just such a special place, you know. And, you know, we've seen so many things um, done there, like, you know, um, things that Congress is doing. And then we've seen, you know, um, presidents and, and, you know, very important people laid in state there. And, and just to see people uh, coming in and um, disrespecting that place was uh, really, really hard to watch. Yeah, you know, this has been a very unprecedented you know, 365 days. If we're heading up to March 13th mm -hmm. from last year, and as we're moving towards that now, 
Um, this has been totally changed the dynamic of our show, um, <laughs> the topics that we're, we're covering. Um, but it's but this is where we are, and this is where our families are at, and this is why we're you know we're doing a show on a Saturday uh, with our special guest, which we're going to introduce in just a second here to come in and help us to make sense of it all. And we want to help you as parents to be. Uh, better equipped on how to respond and how to help them process and even in this hopefully to help you process as well so um i think babe we gotta you know hit get rolling here sure so we wanted to do this show because parents are you know as we just said we're once again having to have some really hard conversations with our kids and um, from what I've heard from some parents, not even talking to their kids about these things, just not sure how to approach the subject. Uh, so one of the things that we did was we asked kids to submit their questions about the siege on the Capitol. And let me tell you, they were they were real, real honest. And so we're glad that we could include their voices as part of the show today. So today we're going to talk to Victoria Ferrar Myers who is um, a former UTA professor of political science, and um, she has expertise in the American presidency, as well as James Dickey, former chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, and Katie Flores Burgess, who is an eighth grade social studies department chair. But before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or a nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in and add the hashtag school days show and hashtag I am school days. And also we want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 214-444-5575. Or if you're live with us on Facebook and I see several of you are, feel free to drop us a question there. Uh, hey, babe, let me just, uh, if I could say one thing real quick here, sure. um, as we're heading into this, um, just uh, where we're coming from is we want to, our goal is to help you help your children process what's going on. Um, this is, we're not, the goal of this episode is not a political bent. Uh, we're not trying to favor one side or the other side, but to help you as a parent to help your child to process what's going on. Um, and so I just felt the need to, to say that. I know that wasn't part of the script, uh, but we're not going, we're not trying to go in on Democrats. We're not trying to go in on Republicans. We're trying to process what we're observing. Um, and so um, to that end, um, please uh, be open-minded. Uh, no matter where you are, because we know our parents come from different perspectives and we know they have different angles and we know that, um, you know, this is a very charged issue. Uh, but our goal is to equip uh, you, equip ourselves as parents um, just to help process what's going on. And so it's spoken to say that, babe. Okay. So let's jump right in um, and, intro and actually have our guests introduce themselves. We'll start with James. Well, good afternoon and thank you. I'm so glad to be with you guys. It's been a, a pleasure to know you over the last few years. I was the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas for three years from 2017 to 2020. Uh, before that, I was chairman of the Travis County Republican Party and, uh, and I've been an activist and volunteer for uh, more than a decade. I was actually 
uh, delegate to the National Con Republican National Convention in 2008, 2012, 2016. Um, so very involved in, uh, in that way in presidential politics for a long time. And I'm CEO of a, of a company that helps uh, companies and uh, advocacy groups grow. And so that's what I do now. We've got three kids, 26 and 25, who both got married in the last three months. Uh, and, uh, and a 16 year old, um, all of them grew up in Flower Mound public schools, uh, and, uh, our 16 year old, when she started to get ready for high school, asked if she could homeschool. So she's done the university of Texas, uh, online homeschool, uh, high school program, um, UT high school, uh, for the last three years. She's a junior now. All right. And, uh, well, so, Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, James. And uh, Katie. Hi, good afternoon. And how are you? Um, my name is Katie Burgess, and I currently teach eighth grade U.S. history and um, social studies. But within my scope, um, I also oversee um, our seventh, eighth, and ninth grade curriculum. Um, my background, um, I've always had a huge interest in politics. My undergraduate degrees were both public relations and political science. So it's always been an, an interest uh, for me. It, it's when we get into that part of the curriculum at school, it's one of the areas that I love, um, still very passionate about. Um, I also have three children. Uh, they're all school age between the ages of nine and 16. Uh, so the, the topics today are, are very real for me as well, um, experiencing it both as a parent um, as well as in the classroom. And so I'm very excited to be here with you guys today. All right. Well, thank you. Welcome, Katie. And Victoria. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's really great to be with you today. Um, my name is Dr. Victoria Farr Myers. I'm a political scientist uh, whose study has written, studied, and wrote books and taught on the American presidency in Congress for over 20 years now. I also was a former congressional fellow who actually worked in the U.S. House of Representatives back in 1998 when there was an incident on the Capitol Hill. Um, but above all that, I'm a mom of a nine-year-old who is curious as all get out and who wants to understand this. So you know, I've had former students contacting me, asking me, what do we, how do we make sense of this? You know, as a mom, I'm trying to make sense of it for my nine-year-old. And then just, you know, currently I am a elected official. So trying to make sense of it for a lot of constituents who are asking questions about, you know, what happened and what do we make of this and where do we go from here? So it's great to be with you today. Well, thank you guys all for joining us. And let's just start right there. You know, we are all our parents. Have you guys any seen any signs of uneasiness or anxiety or fear about the safety of our country from your, either your students or your children? Yeah, I'll say for my three children, they have all approached it very, very differently. Um, my my nine-year-old has had very different questions than my 16-year-old, obviously. Um, but also some anxiety from students at school as well. Um, you know, they're, they're very well, especially in the social media age, because they're just being inundated with so much information from so many different angles. And I think at times it's been just almost too much for them to process. Mm. Um, so I am definitely seeing, you know, anxiety um, in students at school. Um, and then, like I said, with my own three children, just different approaches from them as well. Right. Um, hey, Kate, have you noticed any 
Okay, amongst adults, there's a lot of devices, divisiveness going on. Are you sensing that amongst the students in school as well? You know, it's funny because back around the election time, I saw that. I saw a lot of, you know, the, the students were divided. Um, but after the events happened, I really didn't see that. Um, I saw a lot of, you know, what I, what I did see was fear. But their response was, collectively almost this is not okay like mm. they instinctively knew that this was not what what should be happening um and so i was i was shocked because i did expect to hear a lot of division between them and i didn't wow that's really interesting that you said that katie because that's exactly what i've been seeing both with my own son and then also with former students um it's been interesting you know, we, we tend to think of a world in terms of partisanship and politics. And, and really, I think it's about what does it mean to be an American? What does it mean mm. to have what Abraham Lincoln saw as a symbol of our United States of America be invaded? Um, and so it's interesting, you know, my nine-year-old said, you know, one third of me wants to cry and two thirds of me is angry and I don't know why. Mm. And I think, you know, as a parent, in, in, and as a teacher, I think we need to let people process the emotions, but then we also have to figure our way through those emotions and kind of get to ultimately, what does this say about our nation? And I think, you know, we can't lose track of the fact that, you know, we did have a Senate, United States Senate and United States House who did um, ratify the election. And we do have a president elect and we, you know, politics continues. So it is interesting, Katie, that you said that, because I really expected a lot more partisan rancor. And really what I got is a lot of we, the people of the United States, coming together and let's get past what happened and try to figure out what we make of that going forward. Victoria, mm -hmm. I'm just like to say I'm very proud of your son for uh, the mathematics of the one third and two thirds. <laughs> sure. Like, and he's nine, he's already, yes, and he can my, add the thirds, and one third and two thirds is three thirds. Yes, you know, that's just the math nerd to me, but I love it. I mean, you know, my son loves math and everything like in the world, you know, everything is proportional, you know, so, you know, patterns yes. are real, order and pattern is really important to him. So, yeah, um, that is not not surprising that he he voiced it in that in that way, because <laughs> he's trying to figure out for himself sort of what, how to, how to make everything go back to balance, right? How to get to, how to get to neutral. I love it. Um, some people that I talked to said that they had not had any conversations with their kids. Um, what do you guys think about just kind of avoiding the topic? Uh, as a parent, one of the things I try to do is try to make sure that my kids know it's okay to come to me for the hard topics. And sometimes the easiest way to do that is just bring it up myself. Uh, and sometimes I'll do so obliquely, uh, but sometimes it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it, it was not hard. Uh, I was out of town, and so I hadn't had a chance to have an, an in-person conversation with my 16-year-old daughter until last night. Um, but I just asked her straight up, what do you, you know, what, what did you think of all this? What, what can, what's your reaction and what's your concerns? And she, she was very open with me about it. You know, we actually, James, it's interesting what you did with your 16 year old. Cause you know, we were watching what was going on. And so we, we actually called a family meeting 
and um, sat down and kind of said to our nine-year-old, this is what's happening. You know, factual, just the facts, you know, this is what's happened. This is what transpired, you know, and kind of let him take it in. And then, you know, my first question to him was, how do you feel about it? And then that's when I got the one third, two thirds, right? (laughs) And then I said, you know, if you have questions about more about it, you know, feel free to talk to dad and I about it, you know, because we've always had an open discussion with them because to be frank, raising a child in a social media age, I rather him explore those issues with us than try to figure it out on social media. He's still a little too young that, you know, he's not completely exposed as a teenager might be to all the different media outlets. But um, I think it's important to sort of set a precedent that you talk through facts, you know, and, and you deal with, you know, there's lots of opinions out there, but let's talk through and, and process those. And then subsequently, and even just yesterday afternoon, he came back and, you know, his entire fourth grade class decided that they were, this was not okay. They were unhappy about this. And he's like, you know, already he's, you know, the first question he asked was, what can we do to make this better in the future? And so, you know, he's already starting to get through those stages. So I think as, as parents, we, we owe our children the opportunity to have that freedom to explore those with us mm. um, because there's too many people out there in, in social media that will try to do it for them. Yeah. And so I think we, we, at least I think as a parent, you know, I want my child to have all the facts and all good information, try to make good choices because information fluency is an incredible skill that's necessary in today's world. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. what kind of things can you what kind of questions can we ask? Cause I, I think what I did with, with DJ was what do you think about what happened? Or, or no, I said, do you have any questions about what happened? And I got a big fat, nothing, you know? <laughs> so what kind of questions can we ask them to kind of get them talking about things? Cause especially if you have teenagers, you kind of get one word answers and they're not super interested in, in, in talking about their feelings and things like that. What do you guys suggest? Well, certainly you have to build up for this. Stuff. I know it's my favorite. Ideally, as a parent, you, you build up through while they're toddlers and and, and uh, tweens before they get to the teen years, because yeah, mm-hmm. everything gets a little more challenging then. But um, I've found it more successful to ask specifics, like uh, so, you know, when the when the first death was reported, right? The the okay, someone's been shot. A very relevant you know, way to start the discussion is, have, did you hear someone mm-hmm. was just shot as part of this? What's, you know, wh- what have you heard? And, uh, and then after that, and what do you think about that? Right. Cause that, that's a, it's a fairly, it's, it's a low threatening deal. Right. I mean, we're not, it doesn't take much and it doesn't take a big leap for pretty much anyone to go. That's terrible. Right. Right. Someone was shot. That's terrible. I, any other circumstances around it, it's still terrible, right? Uh, a life was lost. Uh, and so in tough situations, I found that to be the easiest way to start the conversation, especially with somebody who just isn't naturally talkative or, or rather wouldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Well, I think also, you know, asking specific, specific questions like, why is January 6th an important date in the United States? A lot of people didn't know, or even, you know, some former students who, who had contacted me, 
you know, said to me, why is this, you know, why, why this day? Right. You know, and I think, you know, it's interesting how many people in the United States don't know that January 6th is prescribed by the United States law, that that's a day that we, uh, Congress convenes together to um, certify the electors, um, you know, the electoral colleges, not the electoral college, but the electoral colleges that took place in the, in all 50 states and they're certifying the election time, place, you know, so I guess the, you know, one of the things I talked to my son about is like, why, why is this date important? Mm -hmm. So he kind of understood, you know, it could, why it could have randomly happened any other day. Why today? And then also sort of, you know, why is the capital such an important symbol in the United States? And why is some violence happening there more seemingly, you know, such a high importance to the entire nation, to the world, you know, why are world leaders reacting to this, you know, and, you know, those are some higher level questions, you know, I'm not all the way there with my nine-year-old and I'm, I'm sure it'll be a while before that, but with some of my college students, you know, they were asking that question, like, why is today such a big deal? Why did it, you know, why, what was that? And, you know, they were asking questions about why is, you know, you know, we've had riots all over the United States. Why is this such a big deal? Um, and so I think some of those entry questions too. And then that also allows, I think, for teachable moments for us as parents and as educators is just sort of, you know, get that civics lesson in there about, you know, some of the things that were really happening and why those are important. Well, a, a couple of questions that I have about that is, you know, can you explain a little bit of, you know, why, what, what is the significance? I mean, not the significance, we know that they, the votes were ratified, but what, why is that happening? What exactly was happening? And was there even a chance that the election results could be over, could have been overturned on Wednesday? Because it seemed that that was what they were trying to do. The, the, um, the protesters were trying to come and um, thwart that process. So was there a chance that they could even do that? And um, with the debates that they had in Congress, could they have overturned anything? Well, the U.S. code um, that prescribes the the process that transpires in the House and Senate convene together to um, certify the electoral college results that have already been certified by the states and signed by the individual governors there is a process that can be challenged. Uh, electors from certain states can be challenged if you have a House of Representatives and a member from the House of Representatives and a member from the U.S. Senate in writing have to petition and state that there was some fundamental problem with either elector or the electoral process. Uh, there were several challenges actually that were made. At that point, um, the convening disbands, the House goes back to the House, the Senate goes back to the Senate. They have a two hour minimum, um, excuse me, two hour maximum, I should say, with a five minute minimum for each member to discuss um, the grounds by which the challenge is that. At the end of the two hours, the House and the Senate are mandated to take uh, a vote, a majority um, consensus by the House and the Senate. So in other words, the House and the Senate both say there's no factual grounds to it. They go back, they reconvene, as the, you know, with the president of the Senate, which is the vice president of the United States who convenes it, um, and they come back, it's reported, and then they accept and move on. The only way a, you know, any kind of situation could happen is if both the House and the Senate agree, then they yeah. would come back and there would be changes made. 
in the United States history that has not 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 occurred unless we go into historical non-precedential things. But in recent history, this is the way it transpires. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, uh, Victoria. I was I was watching back if we recall recent history uh, back during the Bush Gore. Uh, uh, election, the challenges there, and how it went to the Supreme Court, and you know, and of course, it you know uh, went in favor of Bush, uh, and Al Gore presided over it, and there were um, Democrats who challenged. And I was just watching this, and I was like, wow, "This and I never, I don't ever recall even you know, absorbing this when it happened." Uh, but uh, Al Gore, he said uh, to his fellow Democrat, um, "Do you have the signatures from the Senate?" And he, he was very procedural in, in how he did it. And she said, no. He's, and he said, you know, I, I cannot take this. I think we cannot take this issue up. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, wow. I mean, you know, just that, you know, the point is that there, there is a process that needs to be done and needs to be uh, adhered to um, as one. Well. And Katie, I want to, to ask you a, a question in particular and kind of with, so, we, we, we're parents and, and, you know, we're adults and we're living our adulting lives. And we, I think we all have, wherever we come from, we all have some view of the implications of this election on either us personally or on the, you know, on the American way or on the democratic process where kids on the other hand, like Katie and like where I'm at, I teach middle school as well. And, you know, they get up, they go to school, they, you know, watch TV, they, TikTok and you know and you know and Instagram and all those things and and so um, how do we balance the 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 potential chargedness of where we see it as adults where, wherever you stand you know whatever whatever point of view you have on it you know if this happens then this is going to impact us or if this doesn't happen then or a kid is just going to school and doing their homework. Um, I, how, how do, because I think as they, as we go, as they get older in life and move into from the student to maybe going to college or going to work and then more involved in the process where now they can vote and those, those things, how do we help them to find a balance at their age versus where maybe we're coming from as a parent? Does that make sense? Is it, there's one question as I'm asking, does that make any sense what I'm saying? <laughs> I hope it does. <laughs> I understand. Um, you know, I, and you got to understand, I come at this from two different perspectives. I come at it as a parent, but also as a social studies teacher, because within the classroom, my job is not to persuade them politically one way or another. Right. My job is to teach them how to find facts, to find information and to find out what information is credible, to get them to look at a situation from multiple different viewpoints. Um, to think about, you know, okay, I may think this way, you may think a different way, but how can we still, even though with different opinions, still get along? You know, how can we talk about this um, in a pleasant, in a a nice way? Um, You know, that's learning how to communicate and how to have those difficult conversations with people who disagree with you overnight you know so within the classroom we look at it as um you know getting them to understand what are the facts of the situation that's going on um from you know from a parent perspective Mm -hmm. um 
but again, just trying to get my, my kids to understand that while this is a big deal, while this is happening, I also, you know, personally try to get my, my own children to understand that this isn't the only thing going on in their world. I also, and as a teacher too, probably try to get my students to understand, okay, yeah, this was, this is a big deal, but what else do you need to be looking at in your world going are going to impact you because for my students, you know, we've our campus has seventh, eighth, and ninth graders. So for our ninth graders, they're going to be the next generation of voters. And getting them to understand that while you're not a voter now, you got you do have to start paying attention to the world around you mm-hmm. and start processing this. But I think most importantly is getting our students in this social media world um, where they're getting things coming at them from all different angles getting them to understand how do I find the facts? How do I find out what is real? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard. It is hard. It's hard for adults. <laughs> Katie, are you still there? She's frozen. Okay. So we're going to jump into some questions from our um, students here. Let me. Are you ask ready? This yeah, I know, right? Are you ready? <laughs> All right, here's the first one. My name is Conley, and I am an eighth grader in Arlington. My question is why weren't there more security guards or police at the Capitol? It's a question that a lot of people have asked. And uh, Victoria, you actually worked on Capitol Hill, so um, I'd love I'd love to hear what your your point of view is on this. And you know, is this something that would you expect something like this? I mean, that's a silly question, but go yeah, ahead, well, anybody. As I said, I, I was a congressional fellow at the time in 1998 when there was the Capitol Hill shooting, and at that point in time, there was a lot of for months and year afterwards, all complete redesign of capital security. Um, there was hiring additional capital police officers. In fact, the Capitol has more police officers than some of our major cities do. Mm. Um, in addition, you know, the, the visitor center was developed um, underground. So if you've been in DC, you, you see now there's a visitor station they go through. So, you know, kind of, I think one of the things that's hard for people to process, and this is a really good question by this young man, which is, why, if we knew January 6th was a date certain by the U.S. law that this was going to happen and that social media, you saw lots of discussions about people going there to, peaceful, to peacefully assemble, peacefully you know, utilize their First Amendment rights. Why wasn't there more of a reaction given the fact that the United States government reacted differently in the Capitol, acted differently in the summer when there were protests during, say, the Black Lives Matter so, you know, there's an ongoing investigation here. You know, none of us know the, all the answers, but, you know, the, during what we're learning or what we're learning in subsequent time is that the Capitol Police said no to additional reinforcements initially up until at least three days prior and had been treating this as strictly a freedom of speech, um, you know, mo- essentially a freedom of speech, uh, you know, rally not necessarily something that would turn into what it did. 
Um, and I think that, you know, it leaves a lot of people saying, well, if you knew January 6th was important, if you heard all these things happening, you should have known better and should have been prepared. Mm -hmm. But I, I bring out this last summer as a backdrop because there was a lot of negative feedback about the reaction last summer as being an overreaction. And so, you know, in that case, the Capitol Police were looking at this saying, well, we don't want to look like we overreacted again. And yet now we're gnashing our teeth and kind of being upset by the fact that, well, we should have known better and we should have had more. So I, I think it, it's hard for us to sort of just, you want to be careful when you're a Monday morning, morning quarterback, right? We weren't <laughs> on the ground. We weren't there. We weren't sort of in, you know, piece by pieces, you know, as days go on, there will be investigations about this. Um, you know, I heard the words, you know, after 1998, this will never happen again. There will never be a breach of the United States Capitol. Mm. You know, that certainly is being called into question now. And um, you've already seen a resignation by the chief of the Capitol Police. You've already seen a resignation by the um, sergeant at arms, both in the House and the Senate. And you are going to see some investigations about what we need to do in the future to prepare for this these types of instances, and also is capital security, even today, what it needs to be. So, you know, there's no easy questions to, uh, to our wonderful individual. I love what I love about kids is they just get down to it, right? Yep. They just ask us point blank, you know, like, why weren't we prepared? Mm -hmm. And there is really right now, all I can say is I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. And there's a lot of folks that are trying to figure that out. And I think we need to understand that um, we as Americans need to process through that. We need to work with our legislators um, and continue to hold the process accountable so that we do get some answers about and not focus not so much. I think I, I would try to be half glass full here and say we do need to explain what happened and why. But I think more importantly, we can focus for the future on how do we do it better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of, well, I'm sorry, speaking of the future. With the inauguration coming up, um, there's rumors swirling around of possibly some things continuing um, as well. Um, you know, I, I have not, you know, been following you know deeply, but uh, then he talks about how things might have been changed for the inauguration um, as extra precaution, or is is it, or is it sufficient? I, I don't know how protection is for those types of things, but. Um, you got any of you guys have any thoughts or insight onto those things as far as how how uh, safe it's going to be for the inauguration? Yeah, so the the last inauguration I attended was right before 9/11, and it was wonderful and pleasant and a little bit scary um, how open and easy and and free everything was. Right. Uh, of course, after 9-11, all of that changed. And you look at security setup that was at the last inauguration, uh, there were fences and there were roped off areas and people had reserved tickets and their IDs had been checked days in advance and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so there's already a lot more security around inauguration than there was in the past. And I think Victoria, I think she nailed it that um, we, we're, we're very human. So we react to the most recent thing and we try to correct for the most recent thing. And frequently that can be an overcorrection and no doubt, uh, you know, the mayor of DC saying, do not send federal troops days in advance of this thing was a reaction to the criticisms that came out of the riots. 
And so, uh, you know, they were reacting to that. Well, now we got this. So now we're going to get a reaction to this. So I fully expect things are going to be a whole lot more tight in the, at the inauguration, quite possibly um, in, un, in not necessarily productive ways and not necessarily relevant ways. Um, but this uh, is a deal. My son worked at the Capitol uh, less than two years ago or two, two years ago, he worked for a, a representative. I've been in and out of the Capitol buildings over and over again. And most of the time I looked around and there was, there was security, but the, the nature of the security was very much, you know, TSA-ish, right? It mm. was, let's make sure nobody, you know, brings big weapons through the metal detectors. But other than that, you know, that, that, that was kind of what it was built to do. Uh, and yeah, it's, we do want to allow peaceful assembly. We do want to allow protest. Um, but, uh, but they can't allow something like this to happen again. And we, we, we've wrestled with that here in Texas and in Texas, there was a, a group of protesters that in 2013 invaded the, um, you know, they were allowed, right? They were allowed to come in. What they weren't allowed to do was disrupt the business of the Senate at the very last day, at the very last minute, at the very de deadline. And they did. And, and the Capitol Police have had to deal with that ever since, too. So um, this is, it is normal human nature to react to whatever was last and quite frequently, sadly, to overreact. Hmm. So Victoria mentioned a little bit about the protest this summer and Terrence has a question about that. Hi, my name is Terrence Lamb. I am 13 and in the eighth grade. My question is, why are they different? I marched this summer in a Black Lives Matter protest and I was scared. Why were the police not scared of them and they were breaking a law? but the police will say they were afraid of me just living my life. So he's just wanting to know why, why there was such a, a different reaction between the protests from the summer for social injustice and what happened on Wednesday. So two different things. I don't, I don't see much difference in the police reaction towards the end of the summer's riots, police reaction to those was very similar to what we saw in DC. Uh, and in fact, in DC and the burning uh, that happened and looting that happened in DC, uh, the police did stand back, stand down, stand back, um, not take proactive information. In fact, uh, the, one of the, uh, one, one of the frustrations I've heard some people air is there seems to be a whole lot more investigation into identifying folks involved in this than in any of that stuff. However, the big difference post this is that all of us have a direct relationship to our capital. It is our capital. And how we react to news is based on how personal it is. So those of us who have family in Portland, when Portland was being destroyed, we were really worried about Portland, but 98% of the country doesn't care, right? Doesn't have a personal connection to it. So the difference in our reaction and the size and the scope of our reaction makes sense because we all have this visceral reaction to the fact that it was 
that it was our symbol of our republic that was attacked and we all have a personal connection where maybe we don't have a reaction maybe we don't have a personal connection to some of those other places anyone else oh that's my read well i think this i think you know one of the things that we do have a personal connection i think we all do have a personal connection to this but i think the your student that just asked that question really was asking, is there inequity in the United States, right? Is there inequity in terms of how people react to different, different types of issues? Um, you know, the answer I think we all want to get to is, you know, that we have equity and we want to have equity in the way in which things are dealt with. You know, in this particular instance, you know, that picture that shows sort of a military presence on the Capitol steps in the summer. And then the picture fast forward to what happened a couple of days ago where Capitol police were overrun um, is makes people honestly have that kind of question. And I think we do have to have a dialogue about that. And I don't think we need to be afraid to have the dialogue about that. Um, I think, no, but, um, but it was the DC's mayor mayor's letter who said do not send troops. Totally agree. It was you. a reaction to the response to the reaction to the riots, right? So it wasn't it, it wasn't just somebody going, I saying I'm I reacted that way this summer. I don't want to react this way now because of race or because of inequity. And, and James, you're absolutely repeating exactly what I said earlier, right? Which is yeah. exactly that. Um, which is exactly what I said. You know, I think you know we have to put things in bigger pictures, though. And and I did put that in a bigger picture when I said right. that you know there was you know Capitol Police and you know DC determined based on the reaction they received from the military, you know, kind of patrolized presence in the summer, they decided not to do that this time. And right. as you aptly pointed out, you know, we kind of do the pendulum swing back and forth. But let's get to back to this young man's question, which is, you know, we still have a lot of discussions that we need to have regarding, you know, inequities in our, in our system. What do we mean by racial differences? And I do think that it's important for, though, for us to pull out of strictly a racial question or us them and go back to what you so aptly said, which is it's about we the people. And so how do we the people rectify our nation and how do we want our nation to react to these types of things going forward? We want people to have the right to peacefully assemble and to have the freedom of speech. Um, and that's what our constitution provides. Um, the police at the Capitol did a phenomenal job under very difficult situations because they were attempting to protect the people that they swore to protect, which is the United States of America, the Capitol, and the representatives that were in there. So I just, I think it's important though to not just, I think we want to engage this young man in understanding that, you know, there is a difference in perspective. And, and we need to all come to see, as Katie so said, you know, in the classroom, we want people to be able to talk about our different perspectives and our different life experiences and how our life experiences speak into how we perceive what happens. And so be able to talk through that freely and be able to kind of put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. And in doing that, maybe get a greater understanding, maybe not never, never totally agree on it, but be able to have a 
a fuller understanding of what we the people really actually means. That's that's all I was trying to get to with this young man. Cause I, I do think it's important that we don't sort of say, no, 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 that's not what happened. Or no, 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 you know, I think we 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 try to explain things away really quickly. And and that makes us feel better because then we have everything in a nice neat package. But the think something like this is not neat. And I think, you know, as educators and as as parents, we need to be okay with that. And I think we need to be okay with exploring all avenues so so that everybody feels like they have a voice and, and feel like they're heard. Yeah, I like that. Absolutely. And we do, as we as we hear those experiences reflected, and you're absolutely right, we all have unique experiences. Um, and as we hear those reflected as parents, when we hear those reflected from our kids, one of the most challenging things is to be honest with them uh, if the if what they are reflecting it isn't the whole picture and it's usually not we've we've usually got mm-hmm. a whole lot more experience and a whole lot more perspective on stuff and that's i guess the the biggest advice i give to my kids is to try to take a step back and to try to look mm-hmm. at the bigger picture and and remember you know i like to um interject real, real quick here it, um one thing that i've learned in life is when you're we're all formed, our lives are formed by our life experiences. And so the, the lens through which we see the world typically is the lens through which we have lived our world and that has shaped us. And it's not until we have seen a different perspective or maybe we became privy to a knowledge that we didn't know in the past that helps to re helps to reevaluate how we're looking at the same thing. So for example, um, you know, I was, you know, had very, very, you know, great, great education, um, which afforded me to be able to, you know, get accepted to the US, U.S. Air Force Academy. Um, and then um, after, you know, my being blind as a bat and realized I couldn't fly anymore, went back to the University of Pittsburgh. I started tutoring um, students um, in the Pittsburgh public schools. And I went to a suburban high school. And when I think anything of either way, I was just, I did my thing and, you know, I worked hard while I was there. But then when uh, I, I tutored, kids from the Pittsburgh public schools, um, at least at the time, I, I, I can't talk about anything at the time and now, but at the time, uh, what was considered advanced mathematics in the Pittsburgh public schools, at least for the kids that I worked with, that would have just been um, a, a general academic mathematics course in my high school. And I began to see the inequity there. Um, and then when I came, my first teaching assignment, when I got help me start a foundation, I had one ring of paper and, um, that was my paper supply for the semester, people, for the semester. And then I leave there and go to a place where we where we had uh, office depot trips coming every single Friday. You know, and and I was like, oh my gosh, you have some schools that have this and some schools that have that. But it wasn't until, you know, I've, I've been on both sides, you know, and and now I'm advocating you know, for students, you know, uh, uh, ever I go, but just that, you know, when I began to see the other side of things, is when I began to get a broader, a broader perspective of what's really going on. And sometimes I think no matter where we come from, uh, without having the balance of understanding, to James, to your point, to the uh, to the response of, of the mayor of DC, uh, but also uh, looking at the uh, injustice and inequality, that when we bring those together and when we look at both sides of it, and, and there's there's legitimacy to, to both. And then how can we come to a reasonable conclusion um, about how to move forward based upon a full picture? But I think sometimes 
Gifford and I come parents that we can have just one side of the picture without having objective look at the other side of the picture um, as well. And I never took debate in high, in, in high school or college, but I heard the debate is a great way to do that because debate they make you they make you argue from both sides, right? And it and it helps you to see and you have to defend it just as staunchly, even if you uh, disagree with it as you do as if you agree with it. Um, and so I think there's something to be said with that. Um, that um, that I think we all just need to, you know, as we share and know and grow. And uh, I love doing research, you know, just uh, you know, love academic journals. I'm, I'm a nerd like that. Uh, but when I show, hey, have you ever considered this before? People are like, oh my gosh, I never knew that before, you know. And that allows us to open up the dialogue and have those conversations. So that's that's all I got to say. Yeah, and I I think that. It's, it's so difficult for us as parents because we, you know, kind of our whole job is to raise our kids um, in the values that we have established for ourselves as a family. And so, of course, we're going to be very bent in one direction. And I think that, you know, that that's part of Katie's job is, you know, what she was saying is she's her, her responsibility is not to give her own personal opinion, but to give them the opportunity to share amongst one another, but then also give them the tools to look for the answers themselves. And so, you know, we're very thankful for the educational system. And we're going to, we're going to talk more about that um, towards the end of the show, as far as, you know, what tools can we help um, parents go towards and um, access in order to help kids maybe have a more balanced um, view of things. We do have a couple more questions that we're going to take from the kids here um, before we move on to that. This is Mia. Who will be held responsible for Wednesday's events? Well, I can say that I, uh, there are clear indications that there are serious investigations into everyone who took illegal action. And I hope that that's true. I, I, I believe that's true. I hope that's true. And, uh, and I would not be surprised at all if we see um, quick action to properly charge everybody who broke a law. Mm-hmm. I think we all, I, you know, my first gut reaction to that question is we all are culpable in some senses. Wow. Um, I think all of us need to do exactly what you were just talking about, which is how do we look at from another vantage point and how do we somehow rectify different viewpoints and different ways of going through this? Um, I think the, 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 le- the lessons of this, um, you know, there will be people held accountable. Obviously, there's already arrests been made. Uh, you know, there's been over 50 arrests made as of this morning and probably more so. Because of social media, there's identification of more people than ever. Um, and as been articulated earlier, people are also seeing, as we teach our kids, you know, there's consequences to everybody's behavior, right? And so social media makes that consequence a lot easier in a taped, a taped in. so these, what's also interesting is private corporations are actually finding people faster than even law enforcement. Hmm. And private corporations are actually firing people. Now people are like, wait, wait a minute, you know, that's just their first amendment right. No, 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 no. The government protects the first amendment right. <laughs> private corporations, if they deem you as violating, you know, 
their ethics rules or violating their corporations, but they can be fired. So there are consequences here. I think, you know, one of the things I would hope that all of us would take from this, and especially your young people who tend to think that, you know, put everything you live, you know, your entire life on social media, is that they would realize that what you do when it's on social media, you know, it's captured by everybody forever. forever. <laughs> and yes. so, you know, that there's, there's going to be some consequences. So, you know, it, it's interesting that the private sector and businesses are reacting just as, is actually more quickly than even sort of the legal processes. So, you know, and why I say all of us are culpable, because I think we owe ourselves a pause to just say, what does this really tell us about where our nation's going? How we talk to each other? How do we resolve conflicts? You know, and how can we really have that? And it's, I think it's a teachable moment. I, I guess to go back to the professor moment, right? It, it's a teachable moment for us. And it will be a teachable moment going forward about, you know, how do we rectify liberty and, you know, law and order? How, the rule of law, you know, how, how do we live by a rule of law? And how do we live as a representative democracy and allow these types of things to happen in the United States and still be a provocateur across the, the world for, you know, law and order democracy? When we have a, a U.S. congressman saying, you know, he hadn't felt that way since he was in Iraq. So we've got a, I think we've, we've got some culpability on all our parts mm -hmm. to not just sort of skip a beat, you know. I agree with Katie. We all live our own lives, you know, in two weeks from now, is this going to be really, you know, on the minds of my nine-year-old? I don't know if it's going to be, <laughs> but at some point in time, someone's going to have to write a textbook about what, what transpired. Hmm. And that textbook, you know, I would hope would explore all these issues we're talking about yeah. and not see it from one perspective or another, but really help understand it from, you know, the macro, the micro, and also all different ideas. Yeah. That's just my, my sense. Um, we are going you know, to. Oh, it was a great lesson in class yesterday. It was a huge conversation about the First Amendment protections are not absolute. That freedom of speech, yes, you're not going to go to jail, but well, you know, for, for things that you might say, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to have consequences outside. And so, for these students who do put everything on social media, it was a great lesson because you know, growing up, I didn't have to worry about my future employer searching me out on Google. Mm. Um, whereas today, you know, we hired two teachers this year. And what's the first thing we did? We went to Google to see what was out there about them wow. um, before we ever considered interviewing them. Um, and so, you know, it was a great lesson, but in, in a right in two weeks, a lot of these students are going to have forgotten about what happens. But what I, you know, within the classroom, the conversations that I want them to keep having are, how do we you know, we talked about, we just finished our constitution unit and we, you know, I had those words, we the people up on the wall, um, you know, we the people of the United States, how do we keep bringing them back? And what's funny or not funny, but this generation, um, you know, I've heard so much negativity about this um, technology generation that they don't know how to critically think anymore. And, um, you know, this instant gratification, and, and yes, we do have some problems with that, but I got to tell you, I'm seeing a lot of great in the classroom with this young generation of students that I, I don't know that they're going to let these feelings go. They might not in two weeks be thinking about the protest, but I don't think that they're going to forget the last year and the way that so many of these situations have made them feel and how they don't like it. 
And I think that this is going to be the the next great generation, hopefully, that we're going to see some change um, come from these students. Hmm. Katie, I'd love to know, in your classroom, how are you teaching the kids to have productive conversations with people that have differing opinions about hot button issues such as uh, politics and race? First of all, you know, in, in junior high with those conversations, we have to have, we have ground rules um, before we ever have any conversations. And it, a lot of it comes down to that, teaching them, okay, when you're going to have this conversation, first of all, make eye contact. You won't make eye contact with someone. The issue really isn't important to you. Um, listen to everything that they have to say and learn that it's okay to disagree with their opinion, but that doesn't make that person bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, within the classroom, we, we teach some fundamentals. Yes, there are right and wrong. It is wrong to get, get in a car and not wear a seatbelt. Okay, that's not debate. You know, that, that, that's not debatable. Um, but within politics, uh, getting them to understand that people have different perspectives because people have different life experiences. And whereas you may disagree with a war going on somewhere, um, somebody else might think differently of it because they have a member of the family that's in the military. Um, you know, the, the COVID issue is a huge debate in the classroom. Um, students from all different perspectives on that. Um, you know, and obviously some have had some direct experience with it, some haven't. So getting them to understand that people's life experiences play into how they feel about a particular topic. Um, and and it, is, it is difficult. It's, it's very, very difficult. Um, we try not to have off-the-cuff conversations like that in a, in a junior high setting. Um, if we know that we're going to get into something difficult, we want them to research it first and come in prepared, have talking points. They have to write it down and they have to think about it. Um, so within the classroom, it's very, very structured. Um, and, you know, obviously as a teacher, if it goes in a direction that it shouldn't, it, it, it's easy to, to turn it back around. Um, but it's hard. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it's not. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting that uh, so many lessons I think we as adults and parents could learn. I was that. just thinking that. <laughs> Have some talking um, points. Don't just go I mean, in crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we, I mean, people were, you know, people, they, we, as you know, we group according to, you know, people that uh, are like-minded typically without looking at the other side and that sometimes things that may be opinion are perceived as absolute uh, without having done the research, you know, I was like, okay, you can almost make a little, a little brochure on how to help, how, how to help adults <laughs> uh, have this conversation as well. Um, Real quick, back to Victoria and what you're saying, and and you, you take Katie about the about you know the difference between you know, having the First Amendment right to free speech, but not but but the private sector difference. I think that's something that's very important for people to understand. Yeah. Um, you know, because I see I see stuff that you know, on social media, uh, people that I know, I'm like, mm, well, okay. I mean, it, 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 you know, whether we disagree or not is the point, but you know, someone's gonna look at that now. If somebody gets mad at me because I post about my Pittsburgh Steelers, and hey, so be it. Because I mean, a lot of people hate Steelers haters anyway. I'm a Steelers fan myself. But but like, but for example, like this guy that uh, one guy that just saw before we came on, he got fired. He had on his ID badge from his job. 
Oh no. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, not that I'm condoning what he did, but I'm like, bruh, if you're gonna do, at least don't tell him. And I work here. So I said, <laughs> that's his job. And they told his job, he's out the door. Yeah. You know, and so it's just, it's just a, uh, I think it's just kind of, kind of, well. It, it is shocking that so few people really, if you just ask, so few people realize that our Bill of Rights is limitations on government's ability to impose on our rights. And specifically, the federal government's ability to impose on our rights. Now, some of those rights and some of those protections have been, uh, have been now and are now enforced broadly, right? So, for example, there no private corporation or private citizen is allowed to discriminate in renting a place to you to live because of your race, right? That's a right not to be discriminated against that is now enforced even on private citizens and even on uh, corporations. But, you know, the right for free speech, government doesn't have a right to tell you what you can say or can't say. Even there, there are some exceptions. Um, but yeah, a, 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 a private corporation that employs you or a private individual who employs you, you know, part of the deal is that they employ you partly because you help them grow their business and you don't embarrass them. Well, that's a much broader thing than you're not saying something illegal. But, and uh, and it, is, it is what it is. And, and Victoria is absolutely right. We've seen a lot more of that. And yes, I've, I've warned my kids since they, since they first got a phone or first got an ability to get on the computer, anything you put on the internet or social media is going to be online forever. Just think about that every time you get ready to post something yeah. or share something. Or take a Maybe, picture. Yeah. If you take it down, people can screenshot People, oh yeah, well, click, click. I screenshot stuff all the time for other stuff. But um, even if you take it down. It's too late. Once you put it up there, you're saying to the world, here I am, world. This is what I feel and think. Okay, click. <laughs> Eight years later, yeah, we found this thing about you. And I've heard about this stuff all the time. And then they have to backpedal and, but, well, you know, and so that, that's just not a good thing. But, you know, so meant to be all, all mindful, yeah, adults too. Happens to athletes all the time, it seems like. Um, so Katie, if you could tell us, you, you talked about this earlier, helping students separate misinformation from factual information and find sources that are credible. I, this is my pet peeve on Facebook when somebody is up in arms about something and then you look and it's like, what is that? Where did they, what is that? And you look and it's like, okay, no other major news outlets are reporting this. So this is fake news. <laughs> so how do you, how do you do that, Katie? What, what do you provide them with? Again, you know, it becomes very, very difficult because they want to immediately say, well, Wikipedia is not. <laughs> don't, quote, don't quote me Wikipedia. Um, and uh, getting them to, you know, ask, okay, where did your information come from? Um, you know, did you, did you hear it from somebody who heard it from somebody? Right. right. You know, we, we teach all about the difference between primary and secondary sources. Um, but, uh, so, so getting them to figure out where is their information coming from and is that source credible? And even if the source is credible, then looking at, does that source have any bias? So it's two different things because even credible sources are going to have biased information. Mm -hmm. 
so getting them to look at um, to look at an event and find different perspectives on the event um, and read it and look at it from multiple perspectives um, helps them to determine whether or not because once they start doing that if they're looking at it, because even even in sources that are going to have bias the underlying information is still going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so getting them to look at, you know, three or four different places for information and looking at, okay, what did you, uh, you know, what, what earlier in the year I had them do something where they had to pull up four different places where they could find information about an event. And I said, okay, now highlight what are the common things through all of these? Okay, that, those are the facts. That's where your information is is getting them to see, um, you know, what, what are the facts, um, teaching them, um, you know, fortunately our, our resource center is, is amazing. Getting them, teaching them how to use websites, uh, to determine whether or not websites are credible, teaching them the difference. Honestly, this is going to sound crazy, but teaching them what the .edu.gov.com means at the end of a website, Hmm. Um, because they type in, you know, they, they go to Google and they type in information and so much comes up to them. Um, and then, you know, I encourage them to, to, to talk through it. Um, because if they start talking about it, especially within the classroom or with their parents, if they will talk about it with usually an adult, then the adult can catch the misinformation but I tell them if if what you're getting is coming through on Snapchat, you need to be careful. You need, to, you need to look at who are you getting your information from and what is that person's agenda? What are they trying? We spend a lot of time talking about propaganda in my class, persuading public opinion, taking an event and turning it around to persuade public opinion And so I get them, okay, ask yourself first and foremost, I have this sitting in front of me. Why did this person post this? What is their agenda? What are they trying to do with this? And that gets them thinking about, well, they're trying to give me information or they're trying to persuade me. Persuade me. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this is something that most adults need to hear right now. Well, and yes, uh, most uh, most adults are not aware that we've had we've had very much advocacy media for almost all of our history. The setting back to presidential elections in the early 1800s, they literally would go and buy newspapers to try mm-hmm. to sway the vote in a town. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there were big you know there <laughs> there were big issues around that. So. Um, we had we had the image of an impartial, objective media for a handful of decades post World War II, um, but I I don't know how accurate that really ever was because all of us bring our experience, all of us bring our bias, even which questions we ask are influenced by our background, um, and certainly how much of the benefit of the doubt we give anybody else on the other side. Uh, makes a huge difference. So now um, I don't mind so much that the that there is transparent advocacy in media now, and there is undoubtedly in every wing of it. Um, but in terms of raising our kids, 
two wrongs don't make a right and try to assume the best intent of the others and try and figure out if you have the best intent of them, then what does that mean? You know, then what can I take away from what they just said? Um, and it's just really important to do that. I think if I may add just one thing, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was hearing Katie talk about that and I do that with my college students, you know, we, and how many of us who are adults, parents who haven't, who, who forget those lessons, mm-hmm. you know, and I know, I, you know, I saw some shock from my other panelists when they asked who was accountable. I said, all of us. And, you know, why did I say that? Well, the United States constitution says we, the people, right. And, and it also, if you look at, and here's my political scientist coming out in me, but, you know, power and authority for government comes from the people. And that sanctity is transferred through the social contract, through the vote. So, you know, it's easy for us to sit back after an event like this and point fingers at one another and try to create blame. And social media, you know, I did a study 15 years ago now on who controls the, you know, who controls the message was the, was the title of the book. And really, you know, what, what we find is, you know, and Federalist 10 tells us about, you know, the worst thing that could happen to a representative democracy is the tyranny of the majority, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, that the remedies were what we had created a bigger sphere, created a bigger, you know, so they can't get together and you created representative demo- representatives in our democracy. So that was a two. So what does social media do? Social media makes the sphere very small. And it makes it really easy for you to find people that are like you and spend all your life with those folks and never see another side. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when you, when I made that comment and I got kind of like people going, what? It, it's because I think, you know, that goes, takes us back to the factual points, right? What does the constitution say? You know, where's government? Government's not the other. Government is us. I mean, the uniqueness of the United States as a you know, a, a representative democracy, a republic, is the fact that, you know, power and authority comes from the people, separation of powers and checks and balances. Ultimately, if the people are uncomfortable with the, the direction of this government, they have the power to change it. Now, and I'd like for us to leave sort of parents with that thought. And also, hopefully, we can transfer that to our, or our kids. I mean, you know, Katie said it best that our future is sitting in our classrooms today, right. you know, and, and we've got to empower them to understand that the government really is a formulation of them and, and they have the power to make differences and to really bend it to its will, because that is what our founding fathers gave us as a gift. So, you know, I know it sounds a little bit political sciencey professory here, but, you know, going back to the constitution, going back to Federalist 10, you know, some of the things that we as teachers teach, but you know, I, I sometimes I, I just get like shrill at, you know, when people on Facebook go at each other with not any kind of context of facts whatsoever, because they just think, feel, you know, in my classrooms, I always say to my students, you're going to, I'm the four-year-old that never grew up. So my question always to you is going to be why you think that mm-hmm. it's not about what we think, what we feel, what we are. Yes. That's part of our processing point, but ultimately we have to get to why. And then how, what do we do with that? And so I kind of, I hope we, we could use those questions to sort of direct our conversations. No, that's great. I, I had no idea we were a bunch of uh, political science. Uh, <laughs> my undergrad uh, 35 years ago was political science and English. 
I I have a a concern about the future of our children as far as their willingness to participate in this election process. We've had so much happen in the last what four years or so where you know we have had Russians hacking the election in 2016 and now you know President Trump is insisting that he was robbed of the election and and so I feel like there's been so much talk about the um, instability of our election process that it could make children or once they're adults and they're they're able to vote uh, feel like their vote doesn't count and feel like, you know, elections are stolen and things like that. So what can we do to revive trust in our country's ability to have a free and fair presidential election and assure our children that they should be a part of this process and they're an important part of this process? Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more that that's been one of the most dangerous narratives that have gone on. And as we as we now found out, talk about Katie's points about about source viability uh, you know, the fact that the there were federal investigators who put any weight on the SEAL dossier and not just any weight, but criminal investigations from a suspect source the, with anonymous sources. I mean, it was that was terrible. And when that was revealed, one of the most dangerous things out of that was that the argument was the 2016 election shouldn't be believed. It's just as dangerous now uh, to say um, that to say that there was, um, to say that uh, the election has no validity now. Um, and, and the problem, again, pendulum swings. We've got folks saying there is uh, no, no, have total confidence in the outcome. There was not a single bit of fraud anywhere in the country. That's like saying not a one of us had a kid who did anything bad, right? <laughs> that, that's not, that, that is beyond credibility. Um, but we cannot allow people to believe that their votes don't matter because then you lead to, if, if your votes don't matter, then the, the only recourse left is violence. And that's hmm. not productive. That is not a good thing. We cannot let that stand. And so one of the things I'm working on actually is taking the experience I've had in the last 15 years of actually running elections. I've, I've been an election judge, an election clerk, a volunteer deputy rotor at Estrada. I've worked in the central counting facilities and all of that. And we've seen imperfections, but there is a world of gap between imperfections that can be improved on and malfeasance that flipped the entire result. And the latter did not happen in 2016 or 2020. And we as parents, one of the best things we can do is let our kids know that the people, the chicken little is wrong and has always been wrong. Hmm. The sky is not falling. The world is not ending. It was not a perfect world yesterday. It will not be a perfect world tomorrow. We are all imperfect, but we live in the greatest country in the world. We have the greatest system in the world. It has checks and balances and protections that have survived 200 years of calamity that it, no matter how it feels, even after Wednesday, this country has survived worse and it will continue to survive, especially if we all do our part. So let's sit down and do our part. Okay. Well, and go back to the US constitution, right? The time, place and manner of elections are dictated by our states. And so, you know, if you look at the election, this election, it went through the state processes, 
Uh, it was duly certified. You know, the governor of the state has to sign off before it's even transmitted to the process that took place in January, on January 6th. So, you know, are there imper imperfect types of systems happening at the various state levels? I think a lot of state legislatures you're going to see, and I know the Texas state legislature, you know, will deal with budget, but one of the things they want to look at is in election integrity. A lot of the states are going back and looking at their, their systems, their machines. Um, you know, because again, the federal government is not the regulator of this. It's This is really the states that have to take a look at that. Now, you know, you mentioned though, a while ago, Bush v. Gore, um, and if we know anything in the United States is that one vote can make the difference in the outcome of an election. And so whenever, you know, somebody says to me, you know, my one vote doesn't matter. You know, I always, I always pull out historical examples to demonstrate where one votes do matter. And so I think we have to continue to, on one hand, continue to educate that the vote is actually you as a citizen transferring your power and authority to government to make decisions for you. You know, that, that, that's, that's a heavier kind of conversation than just saying, you know, well, voting is what. The other thing, though, I think, though, it is important for the states to, to make sure that they continue to look at our, our, you know, our history is rife. It's not just the last four years. Our history is rife with problems with the vote, whether it's been voter suppression or, you know, voter fraud or whatever. I think it, it behooves us as a, a nation to continue to always ensure and ask our states to continue to be vigilant about this. And so if we have questions, I think it's important that we explore those with our within our states because that's rightfully where it should be happening. Um, you know, so I think that's another thing that we need to, to continue on both sides to, to, to have those conversations. Um, anyway, so thought. Uh, Oh, hey, babe, I just want to add one, one more quick thing. So, you know, with all this, everything comes back down to math. You guys know that, right? Everything <laughs> comes back down to math. And, and so, you know, I'm looking up as we're seeing it, looking up the, uh, as you know, we've been going through geometric proofs, and we talked about this a little bit before the show about, you know, why they're important. So I want to just throw a couple of quick uh, definitions out there to kind of tie this into what we're discussing here is, is that an axiom is a statement we assume to be true. Um, a conjecture is a statement that is being proposed to be a true statement. Um, the proof is the explanation of why a statement is true. Um, and then you know, a corollary is a true statement that is a simple deduction from a theorem or proposition. But you know, but that, that a proposition is a less important, but nonetheless interesting true statement, but that a theorem is a statement that has been proven to be true. And what we have, if we're not careful, no matter who you are, no matter what side you're on in this debate is, we have a lot of axioms happening out there in, in the media, the statements we assume to be true, um, and a lot of conjectures, uh, but not a lot of theorems. And so we need to, we need to get to theorems um, to understand what's happening in the world. And that's why math is the greatest subject of all. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, you've got well, such and a yeah, So to, to Victoria's point, from ten, a, a few tens of thousands of votes in a handful of states, certified appropriately, the law followed appropriately, led to the victory of now President-elect Biden. Yeah, and younger students, um, for parents trying to, to, you know, like I said, I, I have the next generation of voters sitting in my classroom, 
and it's great to put it in a historical perspective. We always try to take these events and, and put them, you know, in a context. Um, historically, the timing could not have been more perfect because we had just studied the 1796 and the 1800 elections. And I said, 1796 was, was a mess. We ended up with a Federalist president and a Democratic Republican vice president. And then 1800, four years later, we have a tie in the Electoral College and we have to send it to the House of Representatives. And I said, guess what we did? We fixed it. We threw it out. We, we passed the 12th Amendment. You know, Congress approved it and the states ratified it and we fixed it. And it wasn't perfect. We still had problems in 1824 and other, other elections, but it's worked. It's continued to work. Our process has survived. Our constitution, we the people, popular sovereignty, we are the ultimate source of government authority. We give them that power through our vote. And I just try to remind students of that all the time. There, there have been elections that haven't been perfect, but through it all, our constitution and our republic have survived. And remind them that when they, when they become disenfranchised with that, when they decide not to use that right to vote when given, in not just national elections. You know, I push the agenda for local elections. I show them voter turnout and try to help them understand, you know what, your city council, you need to, you need to know what they're doing. Those, those elections are more relevant to your everyday life. Sure are. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, if, if city council is going to take money away from your, your local boys and girls club, you know, your, your local Mansfield Activity Center or whatever it happens to be, that's going to impact you on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, you, it, it's not just the presidential elections that you need to be aware of, but when you give up that right to vote, you allow tyranny to happen. What Madison didn't want, you know, power in the hands of one few or many um, to accumulate. Um, I said, you, you allow that to happen. And we fought too hard to get it. So right. don't lose. All right. Great. Last word. I would like to um, offer some resources for parents. I know several of you guys had some, some places that you wanted to recommend for parents to go to, to try to kind of make sense of all of this and um, help students make some sense of it for themselves as well. Well, actually, I want to add one thing to what Katie said, city <laughs> okay. councils and school boards. Yes. Yes, we'll be voting on the school boards. Yes. Uh, in Texas, it's nearly a half of all of your taxes. Um, and obviously, it affects all of our lives, those of us who have kids in the system and those who don't. It's educating our future. So, yeah. And I'll, I'll put in a plug for a, a, one of our episodes. We did a whole episode on the importance of school boards and why we should care about that. So you can go back and listen to that one. Awesome. So what are those resources that you guys want to recommend? Anybody well, I brought up, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I brought up earlier. I mean, obviously the political scientist in me wants to make everybody go back and look at the constitution and look at Federalist 10, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. You know, parents are just not going to do that. Nobody I likes will. to read that stuff. So whatever. It, well, give it to me when we're off the air. I'll, I'll, I will. I will. I'll have like, it on the website. Hey, I like that math. I, I like that math analogy. I'm loving that. I'm going to have to use that. So we'll have to talk later. Um, <laughs> But uh, the Congressional Research Service, a lot of people don't know the existence of that. It's a nonpartisan um, think tank that Congress uses. And they put out Congressional Research Service reports. They're available online. There's one called Counting Electoral Votes, an Overview of Procedures at the Joint Session, including obje objections by members of Congress. So if you really want facts about what was happening, 
um, I've given that resource out to a number of people who have just said to me, explain what happens. Like, I didn't even know this meant anything. Like, I thought when I went to the voting booth and I voted for, you know, either Biden or I voted for, you know, Trump, that I was voting for them. It's like, no, you're not voting for them. You're voting for a slate of electors. And so, you know, I think it's, it's important to go back to some of the, the primary documents, but I, I the Congressional Research Service is written in really plain English. It takes a lot of, you know, legalese and sort of stuff that is hard to go through. Um, so if you want to, you know, give something to your kids that's easy to read, or if you want to just like look it over so you can be feel like you're more authoritative in talking about it, um, oftentimes too, you know, give those resources to my own students in my classrooms so that they can sort of better understand it from a, again, an authoritative source that is nonpartisan by nature so that they can just look at the facts. Okay. David, you had something too. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and we'll post the direct links because there's a lot of yeah, a lot will. of resources on there. But uh, commonsense.org um, one is great for everything from movie ratings. So, if you want to see exactly what type of stuff is happening in a movie, do you want to screen for your kids? Uh, but also has a whole section on on media and how to digest, um, how to cipher through what's happening in uh, social media and how to uh, discern true news from uh, from fake news and pretty much everything that Katie was saying um, to the T is what is what it talks about. It goes about it in you know, more detail. Um, and then how to have those meaningful conversations. They have a section on how to have conversations about what just happened uh, on Wednesday uh, based upon um, age levels as well. Um, so it's just great to, you know, because what you ask a high school is very different than what you ask a second grader, you know. Um, and so it's, a, it's just a great website for parents, for educators, um, to help to kind of process what's going on um, around us as a, as a parent to help our kids have you know a good balanced perspective on it. So uh, commonsense.org, but on our website we'll give the specific links um, to the articles that um, could be relevant. And maybe for those who want to, I'll put those those geometry uh, definitions up there as well, just as a bonus. Yes. <laughs> okay, Katie, did you have any? Yeah, for parents, you know, they're they're always asking questions. How do, I, how do I get this information to my, to, to my child? How do I talk to them? Um, there is a great website. It's called weareteachers.com. And I really hope people are saying, but wait a minute, I'm not a teacher. Why would I need this? Well, in your house, you are. You really are a teacher. Um, but I love the site because it does put up credible information and it does put up things for teachers. How do you talk to your students about this? Well, the same thing's going to happen to parents. How do you talk to, how do you talk to your child about these? Right. Um, these, these events. Um, so that is a great resource um, for parents who are looking for information. Weareteachers.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. And anybody else or forever hold your peace? Okay. Well, in, mm-hmm. in, in January 2021, the three of them will be coming out with a joint book on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> um on what's that um, going to be called i, I, I just say look the, i i love the, the having uh, you got your expertise in your areas i think really brought it all together today um in a great way um and you all have your insights and wisdom um that can have all of this so uh, i know we're just we're grateful that you guys came today but i would love for you guys write like I, I would buy the book write it for me <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Unfortunately, we are, we're actually way over time, <laughs> but I, I knew that this episode was going to be pretty meaty. So we didn't, we didn't just allocate an hour, but anyway, thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you. Thank so, you. Noggin Educational Foundation is the premier sponsor of School Days, so we always want to let you guys know what's happening with Noggin. We're currently taking applications for two of our programs. Noggin offers 12 hours of free private tutoring to students through our educational coaching program. And also through our ARD advocacy program, parents receive support in securing services and accommodations their kids need at school for learning disabilities and special needs. With the closure of schools, the education gap for low-income students has widened and the one-on-one -on -one intervention we provide is vital. So see our website, nogginfoundation.org, that's N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org, or email me at Donita, D-O-N-E-D-A, at nogginfoundation.org for more details. It's that time of year again for resolutions and goal setting. And we've created a smart goals and growth mindset kit that's perfect for students and even for us adults. So this 12 page digital toolkit contains worksheets to help develop goals that are smart. They're specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time sensitive. And uh, to foster a growth mindset or the belief that talent and intelligent can grow with practice, effort, and experience. So this is a free download that you can find on our website, nogginfoundation.org. On Tuesday, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled time at 5.30 p.m. Central Standard, Standard Time. And we're going to sit down with Nelson Dellis, who is a four-time USA memory champion. They call themselves memory athletes. He's also a mountaineer. He's climbed Everest three times, which I'm honestly the most interested in. <laughs> and he's the author of a book called Memory Superpowers that he's written for kids. So he's going to share with us memory strategies and techniques for academic achievement. So don't forget to tell your parent friends about that one. And also, you can always head to our website, schooldazedshow.com, for more information about all that we're doing with Noggin and for all of the resources that we mention here on School Dazed. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Amazon Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but not least, we always want to end the show that's by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength that we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, please feel free to email me at info at schooldazedshow.com. Have a great week and stay safe. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.